You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company. I'm here with my colleague, Richard Weir, Director of Communications and Public Relations at Savas, and the former Head of Communications at Boston Public Schools. Rich, who do we have as our special guests today? Thanks, Walter. I'm so pleased to have two incredible Savas leaders joining us to discuss some top trends that K-12 educators should be aware of as they prepare for the coming school year. Heidi Brune is the Vice President of Product Management and Marketing for K-12 Mathematics here at Savas. Previously in her career, she served as a math specialist and teacher at Chicago Public Schools. Heidi, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Tom Hamilton, the Senior Vice President of Product Development at Savas. Tom has been instrumental in the development of many of our award-winning instructional programs. Tom, we're excited to have you join us as well. Thanks for having me on, Rich. I think that we can all agree that this past school year will be one that will be studied for generations to come. The pandemic changed how students learn, teachers teach, and administrators lead. You've both identified five key trends that, moving forward, K-12 educators can't afford to ignore. I'd like to get your perspectives on each one of them. Let's start off with the first trend you've identified considering the whole student. Can you elaborate on what you mean by this concept? Heidi, let's start with you. Sure, thanks. Well, I think as we all know, the pandemic has been very challenging for students, emotionally, physically, and academically. And for kids to really be able to engage with school, they need to feel like they're in a safe, welcome, and comfortable space. What that means in a math classroom or any classroom for that matter is that they need to be able to explore ideas, make mistakes, spend time considering different problems and feeling comfortable with their solutions. They also need to have an opportunity to exchange ideas with each other and with their teacher and feel like they are in a safe space in which they can progress their thinking and express their mathematical thinking in a variety of ways. Tom, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, as Heidi mentioned, I think, uh, you know, engaging students and and making them feel safe is is critical. And open tasks are a great way to do that. Um, They, in addition to engaging the students, they help teachers gauge what students already know, which is really important as we go back to school this fall. These open tasks have what we call a low floor and a high ceiling. They allow all students to contribute to class, promote great discussions, and give the teacher formative assessment data. A great example of this uh, that we have at Savas in Envision Math is the solve and share. It's a very simple problem um, that's very open. Students can work and solve it any way they can. It's excellent for small group work as well which helps promote a social dynamic classroom. Those are definitely some great strategies to help educators take a more student-centered approach and create spaces where students feel safe and comfortable to share their thoughts. Tom, you discussed uh, formative assessments and ways that teachers can gauge what students already know. This leads us to the second trend you've identified, assessing without tears. Being former classroom teachers, you both know firsthand how assessments can be very stressful for students. So how do you determine where students are at? and identify areas where they might need support or growth without kind of creating a a lot of unnecessary anxiety. Heidi, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the last thing we want um, to do is have our students take a long test 
that identifies weaknesses or what they don't know. It's very demoralizing for students and makes it difficult for them to feel positive about their classroom experience. Assessment really needs to be an opportunity for students to show what they do know. And so a short beginning of year screener and diagnostic assessment can give teachers and administrators baseline data that can help guide instruction throughout the year, help with grouping and give students a sense of, of, uh, what, of their strengths and what they do know and what they can build upon. So one of the things that, for example, that we offer is a math screener and diagnostic assessment, which is again, short, designed to be completed within a class period and adapts to where the students are at generating a report at the end, which can guide teachers along the path during the year to provide support where needed or enrichment where needed for each student. It's really important to not over-assess and to really consider that assessment is for knowledge and for guidance and not punitive or in some way a negative experience for students. There are actually quite a few ways that, that you can provide different assessments for students to understand where they're at. Tom, what are your thoughts on how to kind of create these, these uh, areas where you can identify what students know without kind of creating, you know, unnecessary uh, anxiety for them? Well, I certainly agree with Heidi that we definitely want to avoid lengthy batteries of tests that try to indicate every small gap or weakness that every student has. I think instead relying on open-ended tasks, as we discussed earlier, and other types of formative assessments during instruction. These are, these are lightweight. They won't interfere with instruction. It's not like students have to stop what they're doing and take a long test and interrupt the flow. Teachers can integrate these at point of use, just getting constant data points about what students know and what they're able to do. Another opportunity here is to let students respond to tasks in a variety of different ways. One challenge with assessments is they tend to be very narrow, uh, maybe with multiple choice or just straight right wrong answers that don't give teachers much insight into what students are actually thinking and what, what parts of a problem they may understand or may be successful with versus what they're not. So allowing students to respond in a variety of different ways, like maybe create a presentation or write a letter or draw a picture. Um, these are great ways to get at student learning in a fun, engaging way. Uh, we do something like this in our Pick a Project in Envision Math. Um, it it's, gives students a choice of different ways to respond to different topics. And I think it gives a lot of insight into where students are with their thinking. Thanks, Tom. Over the past year, teachers and students have had to rely on new digital tools and resources to make remote learning and hybrid learning work during the pandemic. This technology isn't going away. As teachers prepare for the coming school year, what should they do to prepare for what you've identified as your third trend, the new frontier of learning? Tom, let's start with you. Yeah, I, the pan pandemic really forced a lot of teachers and students to use these new technologies when they were in a remote or hybrid setting. Um, we saw a lot of use of, say, just a PDF interactivity, for example, where students can write, draw, type on a PDF and send that back to their teacher who can then, again, assess the student learning and, and help the students progress. Most of the solutions we have at Savvis Learning are built for 
blended learning, right? We want to embrace both classroom learning and technology to support that. Um, technology can really help with student engagement. Um, it can lower the burden on teachers of crunching a lot of data or grading a lot of papers and provide a wealth of other data to inform instruction. One thing we offer at Savis is also like adaptive practice. Um, this targets individual. It helps the student in the context of the learning goals of today, but also can help them shore up some weaknesses or deficiencies from prerequisite skills. Heidi, your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, certainly during different environments that we saw this last year with synchronous or asynchronous learning, there are times when a student might benefit from more of a self-paced personalized instruction approach. And so programs such as uh, SuccessMaker, which really targets where a student is at, both in literacy and math, gives them an opportunity to work on their own in an environment where they can get lots of encouragement and practice on particular skills. I think that technology this past year has really, as Tom mentioned, opened up a way for teachers and students to engage with content that they might not have had before. And so certain things such as online quiz games, videos, uh, presentation formats, really do give them the chance to show what they've learned, give students the chance to um, express their thinking and show teachers what they've learned, as well as for teachers to present, present content in a way that is really engaging and interesting for students. Of course, the challenge or one of the challenges with this is how do you capture uh, what the student may have learned or keep track of all of these activities? And so an observational formative assessment tool such as Scout does give the teacher a chance to capture student work and capture their thinking in, in a portfolio, a digital portfolio, if you will, manner that can then be easily shared with students and family members to uh, really keep track of all this excellent work that students are doing digitally. That's interesting. As teachers continue to use these new tools and technology, what other potential changes do, you, do we think will continue into the next school year? A fourth trend we've identified is the student-driven classroom. Research has shown that students perform better when they have a voice and choice in the classroom. Involving students in the instructional planning for, is a great way to, to get at this. Talk with your students about what, they're, what your goals are, what you're trying to learn. Ask your students, do you think we should spend another day on this? Or do you guys understand it well enough to move on to the next topic? Um, teachers can provide opportunities for self-reflection, peer-to-peer discussion, and student choice opportunities as we've discussed before, whether it's something like Pick a Project or the, the songs and games and other things that Heidi mentioned. And I think a key wherever possible is to make instruction relevant to student lives. Nothing engaging engages kids more than being able to relate to what they're talking about in school. So again, I think looking for really engaging questions and open-ended problems, um, such as the ones we have in three-act math, are great ways to get kids engaged and give them voice and choice in the classroom. Tom, thanks for that insight. Some reports from the school year that just ended show that students on average could lose five or more months of learning. As we discuss 
the impact of loss instructional time. The terms we've used continue to evolve from learning loss to unfinished learning to even more recently, accelerating learning. While the need for addressing these skills deficits is such a concern for parents and educators, the words we use are also very important. Heidi, can you address your fifth trend around this issue? Yeah, thanks, Rich. The fifth trend we've identified is actually around redefining accelerating learning. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about learning gaps and how teachers can accelerate learning to remedy the situation created by the pandemic. But we think it's important not to use this deficit uh, language when talking about where students are at. So as we discussed earlier, students are coming into the classroom after an unprecedented year as our teachers. And the last thing we want to do is have students feel like they are behind and have a long list of skills that they need to remediate and catch up on before they can attack the current school year content. What we're proposing instead is that to give students on grade level content and provide supports, scaffolded supports for them to be successful with that material. So they can enter, a teacher can interweave scaffolded support from content that may not have been covered last year as students are progressing through this current year. It allows students to see the connections between content areas across grade levels and allows them to be successful in their current grade. I think it's really important that we understand that students will get there. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of learning actually did occur last year. And we wanna make sure that teachers feel that they get the credit for what did occur in the classroom because there was a lot of success as well. It just may look a little bit different. Tom, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think schools and teachers can really focus on on big ideas here. Uh, There's a lot of great guidance around prioritizing critical concepts and guidance around how to tie that into to how to tie in prerequisite concepts into current grade level courses. Um, There's some great documentation from student achievement partners that identifies priority instructional content. Uh, really helps educators understand what the key ideas are that students need to have in order to be successful in any particular grade level. And curriculum providers like Savis are providing a lot of guidance for their users as well about the appropriate times to bring in some of this prerequisite material while still focusing on the on-grade level content, as Heidi said. That's really a critical piece. You can't take kids back and try to catch up every little thing that that they might not have today. Let's keep moving forward, keep them growing and on level so that they're they're always learning and, and they can still build those prerequisite skills while they're on level. One other point I'll throw in is, is digital technology can be really helpful in this way. As we've talked about, it, it allows teachers to personalize, customize lessons and differentiate and add in some of these prerequisite skills that they may see in their classes or groups or particular students. Well, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Thank you both for giving our listeners some valuable insights into some emerging trends in K-12 education and hopefully some vital information they can take back to their schools and districts. Heidi, it's been great to talk with you today. Thanks again. It was great to be on. And Tom, thanks to you as well. Thanks so much. Walter, back to you. That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to both Heidi Brune and Tom Hamilton for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time.
This podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savvis.com today. Learn with us.